had quite a bit of, a bit of experience on antelope and stuff like that running. And I said, I, I'm going to lead him about, I don't know, three or four antelopes length. And I'll hold up about two or two and a half antelope above him. Is that far away? I had a 270. Mason Payer. Mason Payer's joining us on the Ballistic Chronicles on a snowy morning in Central Oregon, waiting for the snow to, to come down. And we're going to talk about the 27 Nosler. But first, a little bit about Mason. Mason is a senior marketing manager for Nosler Incorporated. Mason's been a friend of mine for probably 15 or 16 years. Um, I knew Mason Payer through his dad. And then his mom's a friend of mine. We've gone fishing together down in South America. (laughs) And I fished with you and your boys. Yep, yep. Yeah, back when Bend was a small town. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And so... Anyway, Mason grew up in Central Oregon, works for Nosler now. He has taken a mountain lion. Yep, mountain lion. That was with a bow. That was before I worked for Nosler. That's right, yeah. That was okay. I was a bow hunter before I worked (laughs) for Nosler, too. (laughs) So a mountain lion with a bow, a California bighorn in the Steens Mountains. That was with a nozzle bullet. So, yeah. Of course Still it was. Prior to my employment, but yeah, I was a partition man before. That's right. Yep. Same here. And then um, we're going to talk about the 27 Nosler today specifically, which is a gun that you have a lot of experience with and a cartridge that you were there as the as the design was being implemented and, and brought into production, then you've taken a mule deer in Utah, a whitetail in Texas, and a hog in Texas with the 27 nozzler. Yep, correct. Yeah. Then, that. then I've hunted with the 27 nozzler too. And from the moment I carried that out the door, I was supremely confident with this rifle. There's some rifles in my life that you just have a connection with like no other. And there's one that I've got in my collection. It's this 270. I'll just hand it to you here, Mason. It's it's a Model 70 pre-64 manufacturer, and it was a gun that was owned by Big John. And then he gave it to Ed Neff, who was one of the longtime employees in his right-hand man for a long time. The 27 Nosler, it kind of comes along to not replace the 270 Winchester, but certainly ratchet things up a little bit. So that's what I really want to talk about. And and I think the first question is why? Why is there a 27 Nosler at this point in time? That's a good question, Gary. Yeah, 27 Nosler. Um, so of course, you know, we've got all the, the other Nosler family of cartridges. You have 26, 28, all the way up into the, the 30 and, and 33. And kind of the, the first pass through the, the calibers there, we, we skipped over the, the 27. And, uh, originally, you know, it was kind of like, well, how do you improve upon the, the 270 win, you know, and just been around forever. And, and it's like it a works. standard of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we had, we came back around and decided, Hey, I think it's, it's time to, to look at the 27 again. We had developed the whole family of cartridges after the 26 was introduced. Then Mike Lake went ahead and, and made the rest of them all the way through the, you know, the 27, 28, 30. Uh, we just didn't necessarily uh, introduce them right away. We're kind of just waiting for the right time. Kind of one of the, 
interesting things and unique things we did with the 27 was was the twist rate. And so all the other nozzle cartridges, we stuck with the, the standard for caliber twist rate. But with the 27, what we decided to do was rather than be constrained by what standard for a 270, which would be a, a 1 in 10, we said, you know, how about we take the twist rate and, and make it a little faster and that'll give us room to create some new bullets, create some really high BC bullets for the caliber and just usher in kind of a, a new era of bullet development and kind of revitalize the, the 277 caliber as a whole. And so we did that. And with the, the 27 nozzles, what we did was it has a one and an eight and a half twist. And so what that's allowed us to do is it, it can stabilize a, a long, heavy for caliber bullet with a really nice high BC and you just get some really outstanding performance out of the, the 27 nozzle with those heavy long bullets. Now I love this because this is the kind of stuff that John was talking to me about when we were working on the first book, John Nosler Going Ballistic. So way back in 2002, 2003, he was keenly interested even in his 90s in development of new cartridges and he was a big fan of that class of calibers that runs from 260 to 270 to 280, 7 millimeter magnum. And he was always talking about long, heavy bullets and ballistic coefficient. When when you look at the 27 Nosler line, uh, what are the bullet weights that you can get up to now? 150 Acubond, and that's kind of a standard heavy weight for the 270 but standard 270 can can use those in the 270 short mag and um, i liked the 150 grain partition in this rifle i just carried on the recipe that john and ed had developed for it and it's super accurate in this old rifle yep yeah it's always been a, a good one but with the the 27 so now we've we created a, a bullet specifically for the cartridge and that's our 165 grain acubon long range bullet and so that one you do need the the faster twist to stabilize later this year uh, we're going to be coming out with a 170 grain ballistic tip for the 270 caliber wow well. that'll so, be awesome yep yep so uh, man that's 30-06 um, weight bullet for the 270 exactly yeah you know really stepping it up there and so you know and and we're just getting started so you know kind of the the remains to be seen what other developments will be coming along i love that just getting started with this thing yep yeah, yeah absolutely to me you know the 28 the 26 nozzle i loved it and i took that red stag with it and that tar right there behind you the 28 nozzler you know i knew what a great choice that was then the 30 and the 33 and then hunted with the 22 nozzler of course too and that's a that's another story but this 27 nozzler is a real game changer to in my opinion and i think it's fantastic to to think of what's coming yeah it's pretty neat i mean one of the things um you know the nozzler family has always been known for is is innovation you know that's one of the the major themes there at work is that um, we never want to settle. We never want to just rest on our laurels and say, okay, this is, this is good enough. You know, we're always looking to improve and find ways to, to push the limits and, and question what, you know, what, why not, you know, why not go with a faster twist rate? Why not make a longer, heavier bullet? How can we do it? You know, what do we need to do to, to make this happen? Okay, well, let's talk speed then and, you know, the trajectory of this of this bullet. What is it? What's it mean in real 
terms to a guy who might carry it on an elk hunt or a deer hunt. So absolutely. So for speeds, so you're looking at at the muzzle with a 150 green Acubon bullet, you're looking at 3250 for a 27 nozzler. So you're a good uh, 400 feet per second faster than than uh, the 270 Winchester. That is and, significant. Yep. Oh yeah, that makes a big difference. And so you know, looking in the field, you've got significantly less drop you know the, the easiest way to think about it is one of the the hot cartridges right now for long range is the 6.5 prc well the 27 nozzle actually shoots flatter than the the 6.5 prc mm-hmm. and you've got more energy than a 300 wind mag so you think oh, about man. that 27 a 270 that hits harder than a 300 wind mag mm-hmm. I mean, when i ran the numbers the first time when i was looking at it's like really is this right and i checked them again i said yep it's right. And I was really blown away. So just extremely fast, extremely flat, and just a lot of energy on target. So it just makes it a great all-around uh, North American hunting cartridge, and particularly if you want to reach out there a little bit further. Okay, so you went to Utah with this rifle. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did we hunt with the same rifle? We did, yeah. Okay, Continuing so... Continuing our tradition of, of sharing <laughs> Nosler rifles. It seems to work out good for both of us. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it worked out good. So mule deer in Utah, tell me about that hunt. Yep. So that was my first hunt with the the 27. A lot of fun up in the the mountains of kind of northeastern Utah. We had been hunting for a couple days and weren't seeing a lot of bucks. You know, I'd seen a few younger bucks, but nothing we were really interested in yet. That morning we hiked down into a hole, which, you know, if you're trying to find the big bucks, that's usually helps is to find that hard place to get to. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh. Made a hike down in there, found a, a group of bucks that were kind of bedded in the shade there because the sun was starting to come up and warm up. It's still early enough. They were doing a little feeding, but they were kind of getting ready to bed down for the day. Okay, so it's three of you. It's the guide and... Guide, and then we also had uh, Travis. So he's my art director. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had brought him along to take photos on mm-hmm. the hunt because we knew we wanted to, you know, collect some images for for just marketing assets and yeah. things like that. And so actually Jeff Bailey was with me okay. as well. So we had, we had uh, partnered up for this hunt. We'd actually left Jeff up the hill a little ways. And, oh, it's Bryce. Bryce was the name of our oh, Bryce guide. Is, okay. yep. So we were hunting. We left Jeff up the hill. We worked our way down this ridge. And there were these, these three bucks sleeping in the shade there. And we were watching them. Kind of the same ridge we were on, there was a, a face that we couldn't see. It was because it was away from us. And so we were thinking, you know, we knew there was a group, this group of bucks was in there and that there should be a couple more because Bryce had seen them before. Sure enough, all of a sudden from behind that face, from where we couldn't see, these buck comes trotting out down into the draw and runs over next to his his buddy who was sleeping in the shade there. Bryce had said, yep, yeah, that's the one you want. Take that buck. I was able to get on the, had a good rest on Bryce's tripod and then had my pack and it was about about 360 yards oh good got nice and steady and took a few breaths and calmed down a little bit because i was pretty excited it was my biggest mule deer to to date and uh (laughs) yeah so touched it off and down he went for sure Mm -hmm. and the 27 was i mean it was amazing the amount of impact and and energy on target when hit that buck it was a good hunt good morning and then when you're in texas so typical texas hunt yeah you're driving you know mostly driving spotting Mm -hmm. uh spotting game and so same kind of thing just looking around looking at lots of deer we were fortunate where we were at you know it can be a little selective you know they've got a good population of deer just finally 
ended up finding one that, that looked good. And he was actually chasing a, a doe around up on a hillside. And so it, it actually took me a little while to get uh, lined up for a shot. I think uh, the, the guide and my, my hunting partner were kind of wondering what I was doing. You know, it's like, you know, let's get on with it here. But he, uh, just every time I'd, about the time I'd get steady, he'd, he'd take off after that doe again. Finally, it all just lined up and he was in the clear and I felt good and squeezed off the shot. And yeah, same thing. Was he moving? Was he, was he, no, he had paused, you know, I didn't, it was a little bit longer shot again. It was a little bit over 300. And so, so you were testing the uh, limits. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. 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 So not necessarily intentionally, you know, but uh, it just worked out that way. And no, I was waiting for him to stop, you know, and so that was kind of part of it too, was he kept moving around and, and so he had stopped there long enough and everything just all lined up and. Yeah, one shot and down he went. And then the hog you shot, was that a big one or? Was it... Yeah, it was a pretty nice yeah. boar. That one, that was kind of neat. Um, that was fun. Got to do a little, little bit of a stock on him. That was the same hunt, you know, after we killed our deer, we still had some time. And so we went out and were looking for pigs and just, uh, happened to be driving along kind of a little bottom there off to the right, spotted something dark moving through the, through the brush there and sure enough through the, the binos up and it was a good looking boar and craig was like yeah go go after that one and it just worked out perfect that he was moving away from us and the wind was blowing to us so from him to me mm-hmm. and so he couldn't smell me the wind was blowing pretty strong actually and so um he couldn't hear me either so i just kind of started sneaking off after him and he was kind of moving moving along so mm-hmm. i kind of had to trot along to to catch up to him you know it wasn't the the sneakiest stock but i was like well if i don't get up to him he's gonna get away so i got <laughs> nothing to lose here you know and so yeah i was able to to close the distance to about 80 yards and he had paused to you know feed or do something there behind some brush and then he he stepped out and um, actually shot him offhand which uh, yeah i haven't done that a whole lot but, right and we got that one on video that was kind of fun so yeah that's uh, good now have you taken any long range shooting courses or you just kind of grown organically into your long range shooting just kind of organically i haven't done uh any kind of formal course just mm-hmm. just kind of in the course of work i've had the the opportunity to shoot with some you know, much more experienced, uh, long range shooters, you know, some former military and guys like that. And just prairie dog environment shooting really lends itself to making a, a better shooter out of a person. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anytime, you know, shooting at those little targets, which of course, you know, growing up here, you know, I spent plenty of time shooting sage rats and then, yep. um, you know, when I was a kid, my dad always take us out after rock chucks. And so, yeah. um, you know, but no, I'd like to do more of the kind of the formal long range, uh, work and, and I took a class with Daryl Holland over in Powers, Oregon. I went from being a fairly confident shooter to feeling like if I could see it, I could, I could hit it. But what came with that attitude and the ability was a real commitment to limit the shots that I take. So I remember being on a mule deer hunt and ranging this buck at 393 yards. And I knew this was the buck I was going to take because it was it was wounded. It had been wounded by another hunter and it was time for me to put it down. It had been wounded, it turned out, like six days before. It was a nice buck, but I stalked to 97 yards and then I just stood up and shot it. And I didn't take that long shot. I waited till I could get a, a closer one. And on this last hunt in Wyoming, we ranged the buck 
at 426. It was walking, going away from us. And I knew it was thought that the rifle could handle. Sam on the camera, he was ready to go into filming mode. And I said, no, we're going to wait on this one. And it was six hours later, we got a 99-yard shot rested on a fence post <laughs> on the same buck. I, I had the gun that I could do that long shot with, but I knew that I could get the opportunity later. And then I ended up shooting a coyote with that rifle too at 40 yards. And that was good because I'd missed the last coyote I'd shot at. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to miss this one. Nope. It happens to, you know, happens to the best of us. But yeah, closing the distance always helps. Now we're going to listen to John Nosler, Big John. We're going to listen to him talk about hunting antelope with the 270. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Bob Nosler, Born Ballistic. This is the new hardcover book from Gary Lewis Outdoors. This book tells the story of Bob Nosler with an insight into growing up in the 1950s and 1960s. Every boy needs a mentor and every boy needs a hero. Heck, even when we're all grown up, we need heroes, especially now. And Bob Nosler grew up walking the trails with John Nosler, the founder of the Partition Bullet. His father was a self-taught bullet designer and machinist, and Bob took that same focus and turned it on the business. And this now is the story of the life and adventures of Bob Nosler in a career that spanned 50 years. It's a book about adventure, but it's also a book about business. And I think the inspiration that's inside of these pages is important for this time in America. This hunter's resume includes stalking Cape Buffalo and elephant, as well as mule deer and elk in the American West. Get Bob Nosler, Born Ballistic, at GaryLewisOutdoors.com and at Nosler.com. First time I hunted in Montana, Jack James in the alleys and Bob and I. Bob was uh, out of eight, really was action get some hunting done. Bob had never had a chance to shoot an antelope. Shot several deer before he went into them when he was very young, but he never got an antelope. So on this huge ranch that we were all shooting on, hunting on, Jack and Alice and all had been driving around in separate vehicles and shooting at the antelope. And so I finally got Bob to get one. He, he got a nice antelope. And then it came my turn to get an antelope. So uh, the next morning early, the rancher's son was going to guide us. He was about Bob's age. Bob and I, antelope were wilder than hell. And uh, so we got up on a knoll and was laying down there, there and just watching the countryside. And in the distance, we saw a herd of antelope running directly towards my, a mile out there, half a mile maybe. We were watching them. So I, I just laid down and just had, a, had my pack back. I had it up in my pack. And I'm using the spotting scope over that thing and watching the darn things come just for curiosity. They got probably within 400 yards or 500 and, and it's coming right at us, and then they turned 90 degrees and took off, and by that time I had my gun was following them. I thought, well, some might, they might change direction. But one of the fellows, Bob or the other boy, says, if you're going to take one, they had the field glass, shoot the front one. He's got a good horn, good horn. I said, I, I, I'm just going to take a shot at him anyway. So I had quite a bit of, a bit of experience on antelope and stuff like that running. And, I said, I, I'm going to lead him about, I don't know, three or four antelopes length. And I'll hold up about two or two and a half antelope above him. Is that far away? I had a 270. And I pulled the trigger and 
down the, the first one went as we walked over there and there were two because none of us had seen the other running in units on the other side both bucks not as good as the one I shot the one I shot ended up only having one horn. He'd lost his other other one. Uh-huh. That night I called Louise and I said I'd probably be in jail because I, I shot two antelope. Kiddingly, and then the next morning before I got home, I he read the paper and it said John Nozzle gets two years. She damn it. <laughs> I was on the school board. The school board, yeah. <laughs> Mason, you, you, we're listening to that audio of Big John. He's talking about hunting with a 270, and you could hear that little bird in the background. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. So they had a bird in their living room. It was a canary, I think. Along about 4.30 in the afternoon, it would just start making a lot of racket. <laughs> and I never imagined that I would be using this audio later and going back and hearing that bird again. <laughs> Stupid bird. Yep. <laughs> now, uh, John was talking about using the 270 and, and shooting at a running antelope. And back in those days, we didn't have the kind of um, repeatable machinery that we have now to to really build accurate rifles, you know, one after the other after the other. And so what John and his friends would do is they would buy Model 70s because that's what the rifles they liked the best. And they would accurize them and they would find the ones that shot well, that were, that the components were lined up and, and the ones that didn't shoot well, they would discard them. You could, you could find one rifle in 10, maybe that was a really good shooter. And then you hung on to that rifle. And then some of the other rifles, maybe they were okay, or they could be made to shoot better with work. And then some rifles, you couldn't get them to shoot at all. And it's there's still some of that in this industry. Oh yeah, that's still true today, although not nearly as much uh, as I think it was probably back then. Of course, I don't know that was well before my time, but from what I hear, you know, the rifles today are certainly uh, in general more consistent and, and accuracy. I mean, just everything's just gotten better: ammunition, bullets, scopes, rifles. Mm-hmm. The the I think the accuracy what guys would consider. You know, the minimum expected tolerances back then would have been the the exception. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the rifles they were building back then, if they could get a, you know, a one-inch rifle was was just amazing and mm-hmm. a wonderful thing to have. You know, that'd be one of the ones they'd hold on to. Whereas now, you know, a factory rifle is expected to shoot an inch. Um, and they do and they can, you yeah. know, and, and it's it's great, you know. So it's really made... Uh, it's just it's it's a great time to be a rifleman. And- it is. It's a great time to be a rifleman. You're right. Now, right here, I have a rifle that I took on an antelope hunt in Wyoming. Oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll show that to you. Well, this is interesting. It's a Ruger Model 77 with a Tang safety. Yeah. And it has a carbon fiber barrel added to it. It's in a wood stock. So it has some of this old technology blended with the new technology. Yeah, definitely a combination of the the old and the new for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful barrel. I think John Beagle made it in Vancouver, Washington. When it was my chance to take an antelope, there was this big buck that we'd been after for two or three days. And I missed him with the first shot because my heart rate was up and I had to take kind of a weird angle on the backpack that I was resting on. And I just m- missed 
you know, shot right <laughs> over his back. He started to run and just this supreme, you know, surge of confidence. I knew I was going to get him on the running shot. <laughs> and I held like three antelope in front of him and, and shot him. And that was with this rifle here. Seven millimeter Magnum, uh, I think uh, an Acubond. And it's just been a very good combination. But John's talking in this little segment about holding three or four antelope ahead of the animal and two and a half antelope above the animal. So that was a long ways out for him to make that shot. That was a long ways. And, you know, this is before the days of, uh, you know, laser range finders and mm-hmm. dialing for elevation and mm-hmm. wind and all that. And, um, you know, those, you, you can't forget too that, I mean, those, those guys, especially Big John, I mean, they shot a lot. You competition. Know, they, he shot in competition long before he became a hunter. Yeah. I mean, before a, long before he became a successful big game hunter. Yeah, and they knew they knew what their rifles could do, and and uh, you know, of course, on a shot like that, there's always a little bit of luck involved. But you uh, can't uh, can't turn your back on that. <laughs> no, no. But uh, you know, sometimes that's what you got to do, especially in the hunting fields. You know, a little little Kentucky windage will uh, get the job done mm-hmm. in a pinch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you have a rifle, you know you can rely on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mason. Thanks for coming today and sharing some of this wisdom with with us. What do you think about this twenty seven nozzler? What's what's in the future for it? The future, I'd say there's just, you know, more to come. Um, you know, there's, like I said, we're, we're making more bullets for it. There's going to be that, that 170 grain ballistic tip coming out later this year. I'm looking forward to uh, trying that. Maybe you'll let me borrow your rifle again. I'm sure we could, we could make that happen. <laughs> that, we could probably do that. And, uh, more to come. There's other bullets, uh, will be in the works. And, uh, you know, what'll be interesting too is as other manufacturers start to chamber rifles for it, you know, there's a little bit of interest out there now, but, there's a lot of consumer interest and that always helps and so um, when other manufacturers start building rifles as well that just tends to make things uh, snowball and gain a little more momentum and so there'll be more ammunition offerings you know different bullets and different loadings and so uh, yeah like I said we're, we're just getting started. Hey guys if you like this episode tell your friends. Hit like and subscribe and come back and download the next episode. Start at the first one, skip around, or start at the last episode, work backwards, we dare ya. We double dog dare ya. <laughs>